Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Good morning. I'm Michelle Martin. Asia Pacific stocks are mixed this morning as many investors await the release of the latest inflation data from China. Seoul is up more than 2%, adding on to a very strong start to the year. The Kospi in Seoul jumped 10% last week. It's a very different picture in Sydney, where the ASX 200 is in the red this morning. Markets in Tokyo are closed for a public holiday. It's coming of age day when Japan congratulates those who've reached the age of 20 means they're adulting. Joining me now for a deeper dive into all the market action is Ryan Huang. How was the weekend? Weekend was good as usual. Do you remember your coming of age day? Uh, I'm, I'm still waiting to reach it, <laughs> in oh, case you okay. have noticed. <laughs> Perpetually 19. All right, I spent the weekend in socks for the first time in a long while. It was that cold. It was that cold and wet. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Well, great to be out and about. Looks like a drier Monday. Let's take a look at what the eyes of the world are focused on. Seems like Washington, D.C. coming into view, where a mob of pro-Trump supporters stormed the U.S. Capitol, you'll remember, last week. Now, while there's all sorts of politics, from a possible impeachment to a new 11th-hour Trump administration policy, there will be time to talk about that soon enough. In fact, Nancy Pelosi has said the House will move uh, to impeach Trump. But I want to start this morning with a financial issue and one that's a bit technical, also clearly impacting stocks, even here in Singapore. And that is the US yield curve. Now, the yield curve, listeners, is that that line that compares the return on short-term and long-term US Treasury notes. And over the past week, we've seen this steepening. On Friday, the yield of the benchmark 10-year Treasury note climbed above 1.1% for the first time since March. So, Ryan, what does a steepening yield curve really mean? And how do investors generally interpret this? Yeah, like you pointed out, it is something you plot on a graph. And if you try to imagine it, the y-axis or the vertical line is where you have the interest rates and the x-axis, the horizontal line, is the time duration. So when it gets steeper, which is pretty much when you see it go up higher, mm. and that is where you are looking at the longer-term rates at a higher rate. So this reflects how typically investors may um, interpret it as the economy doing better, inflation expected to go up, and in turn... It is seen as a sign that the outlook for the economy is going to be brighter. And this means possibly higher interest rates. So when you have your long-term interest rates higher and your short-term interest rates lower, it means the banks can borrow at a cheaper rate and then lend them at a higher rate. And so your spread for the banks is going to be wider. So they kind of make more profit in this type of environment. So that's why we've been seeing banks doing well in recent weeks. And it's not just the US banks, which actually are in focus this week because Mm. of their earnings. Mm -hmm. Uh, You also are looking at local banks. The likes of DBS was actually doing very well on Friday. And take a quick look at how DBS shares did on Friday. It was up by over 5%. In fact, it was the top gainer last Friday in a very good session for Singapore stocks. UOB was up by over 4% and OCBC 3.9% in the green. So that reflects how 2021 could be a good year for banks as investors go back into the 
cyclical stocks on prospects of the economy doing better than 2020. Mm. In fact, that rise of four DBS shares on Friday, 5% up to top $27 a share, that's a two-year high for DBS. And as you just heard, UOB OCBC shares have also been rising. So are there other factors behind the renewed interest in Singapore banks as well, or is it mainly those uh, rise arising from long-term U.S. rates? We've got a couple of tailwinds going for banks, and in recent weeks, we've heard from the U.K. regulators uh, how they are now guiding for their banks to start dividends again. And mm. then in the U.S., you've got indications that buybacks, share buybacks, will start this year again. So that lifts the mood and maybe paves the way for local banks in Singapore to also do the same. So uh, we've been getting a bit of a guidance from the MAS on how banks should be capping their dividends to save their money for a rainy day. So with how the US and the UK have been reacting, uh, maybe it's a signal that Singapore banks may be also doing something similar down the line. So that is lifting the mood. And of course, uh, with the COVID-19 vaccines, that could change the way the economy um, bounces back and some of the mm-hmm. sectors doing better. So that could lift the business sector's spending and borrowing activities in the months to come. So mm. that could be a good prospect for banks and maybe that's what's being priced in right now. I want to stick with banks for a moment. OCBC is appointing a new group CEO, Helen Wong. She'll take over the helm of OCBC in April. Now she will become the first woman to helm a Singapore bank. Ryan, what are analysts saying about Wong's appointment? In which direction is she likely to take OCBC? Yeah, Samuel Chen has been at OCBC for quite some time. We are talking about nine years at the top job and 14 years in total at OCBC. And it's just one year short of David Connor, who he took over. Um, but once again, we're back to Helen Wong, who is actually a recent hire. So he she joined OCBC after some years at HSBC, running its Greater China Group as its CEO for that group. And it's actually a bit of a homecoming for her as well because she used to be at OCBC. Mm-hmm. So it is going to be interesting to see what type of path she will chart for OCBC as the first female local bank CEO. And some indications or expectations are that she will focus on Greater China because that has been her somewhat expertise in recent years. And also OCBC's investments in Greater China in the form of Winghang Bank, which it acquired a few years ago. So that could be the big focus in terms of where growth could come from for OCBC. And then the, I guess, there's also the question around sustainability because she also is pushing forth with her focus on that front because she is leading the charge in sustainability efforts and projects because she's leading this committee or task force at OCBC. So that could be another interesting um, front for OCBC. And of course, um, with this change of guard at OCBC, the question now kind of also brings or surfaces around what's going to happen for the other local banks. Because Piyush Gupta at DBS has been there for quite some time, since 2009, that is around 11 years. Mm-hmm. And UOB CEO Wee Chong has been there since 2007, at the top, since 2007. So that is now also being us. Will we also see changes in the near term for these two banks? Mm-hmm. And I, I guess it would be interesting to see what the um, local investors will be pricing in or at least reacting to the announcement for OCBC, which came in after the market closed.
So fresh succession questions coming to the fore for the leaders of the other local banks. Now, another local story I was looking at was city developments. CDL was the only decliner among the STI's 30 constituents on Friday. It's been taking a hit following the departure of three directors upset over the company's $2 billion investment in China's Sincere Property Group. Now, CDL Executive Chairman Kwek Ling Beng has tried to defend the appointment of new directors to the company's board, saying that they bring diversified skill sets to the developer. So Ryan, it seems that investors are not buying Quick's argument. Mm, it's a bit of perspective, I guess. So from his perspective, he's saying out of the old, in of the new, and with the new, you will get some advantages. And he's saying these advantages are different industry perspectives and experiences. And just to recap, we've got three directors in recent weeks and months out of the door. And the new faces that he has kind of put in place, um, they are the new non-executive and independent directors. And just to run you through where they come from, we've got Colin Ong. He's a veteran in the financial services industry with over 28 years of experience. So he's saying... Colin will help with CDL's digital transformation and expansion of online sales channels for its hospitality divisions. And you have another uh, role played by Daniel Desbale. He is a hospitality veteran. So he's looking at him for some help, of course, with uh, their hospitality portfolio. Carol Fong, who is CEO of CGS CIMB Securities, mm-hmm. has extensive experience in capital markets. And another name he highlighted was Philip Lee, a chartered accountant at KPMG uh, with 23 years of experience in senior roles in auditing, audit, finance. So all that, he says, will help CDL emerge stronger. So that is Mm. his version of the story. CDL shares, though, fell nearly 8% last week. It's still early going this morning, just 15 minutes into the trading day right now. But can we see how CDL shares are performing yet? Yeah, it was quite a bad week for CDL. And like you mentioned, it was the only loser on Friday, which was a very good session on Friday for the STI. Um, So after a 2.6% drop on Friday, it is continuing to drop further. It is Mm. now down by 2.3% at $7.18. In fact, it is now still the top loser in the opening minutes. All right. CDL has said that it aims to limit any potential financial exposure to the China-based real estate group Sincere and that it will review potential divestments of Sincere's assets and the restructuring of its liabilities. I want to zoom back out now. There are a couple of big stories in the U.S. that investors are keeping their eyes on this week. I want to do this as usual game show style. So I'm going to name a topic. Ryan's going to tell us how it may impact markets. Are you ready, Ryan? (laughs) Let's go. All right. Impeachment. Impeachment. Well, President Donald Trump after that chaotic week. Um, So what we have in store is Democrats trying to get the process underway. But it is only with nine days left of office for Donald Trump. Well, how are they going to pull this off? And will it matter? So I think the thinking they have right now is is just going to be symbolic. And in fact, they are going to try to delay the process by more than 100 days so that Joe Biden won't get distracted when he takes office. So it is going to be something I guess they're trying to put on record just to show that they want to make sure he is accountable for what he did and also to make sure he doesn't 
run for office again. Exactly. 2024 insights and preventing Trump from running there. Very much uh, the, the whole name of the game. So this week, uh, Donald Trump, well, he could become the first U.S. president in history to be impeached twice. Imagine that. Apple, Google, Amazon and Parler. So many people have been talking about Parler. <laughs> so it has been quite a well quiet Monday so far. We haven't heard from Donald Trump because he has been silenced. So Twitter has, for now, permanently banned him. So we're not sure if that, you know, they could change their mind later on. But for now, he's permanently permanently banned on the platform. So he can't really say anything on Twitter unless he uses his son's account or someone... He can't even use a Portis account. That's <laughs> he can't pulled. Because uh, they have been monitoring their account and removing his tweets. Uh, so no word from Donald Trump. And of course, why Parler... This other app that has been kind of under the radar, but very popular with Trump supporters. What happened was some of the employees for Amazon were unhappy with, or wanted to take a stand at least, to make sure that they don't get a voice, the Trump supporters don't get a voice. And they pushed for Parler to be taken off Amazon servers. Mm. And pretty much the same story happened in Google. And I think you could probably, probably see it continue for other tech companies as well, pushing against Donald Trump, who has not been very kind to them in the first place in the past four years. So maybe a bit of karma for him. Deplatforming, that's what we're seeing with Apple, Google and Amazon. All right, uh, moving against Trump. Next up, stimulus with the Democrats set to take a majority in the U.S. Senate soon. All eyes are on West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin. Why? What did he have to say about high stimulus checks? And just why is he so powerful? Yeah, it's a bit of a confusion, uh, well, puzzling um, turn of events surrounding this senator. So he is mm. a Democrat and he is one of the, I guess, powerful votes that will decide around whether the well, big stimulus package that Joe Biden has in mind could get passed. So he's one of the big deciding votes. So one of the, I guess, concerns that has emerged is how he apparently came out with comments that he doesn't support a $2,000 check. And then later on, you've got news reports saying that hey, he kind of is backpedaling because mm. um, he is not specifically ruling out $2,000 checks. He just wants to be open for discussions and to prioritize other things such, such as a vaccine first. So that is now, I, I think he's trying to leave himself a bit of wiggle room until the time comes for him to vote on it. So he is just keeping things a bit ambiguous for now. All right. One more story, just before we check in on local markets. And this is about WhatsApp and its rival Signal and another company. That's a Signal, you know, that's its rival. So on Friday, WhatsApp updated its terms of service and that sparked concerns about how the company, which is owned by Facebook, is going to use people's data. And that sparked a migration by many to WhatsApp rival Signal. Elon Musk even tweeted, use Signal. But his tweet had an unexpected outcome. I don't know if you received WhatsApps as well, Ryan, from people saying, I'm moving to Signal. I saw that. Several of my friends, actually. So uh, what's what's the story here? And why has Musk's tweet to use Signal uh, received an unexpected outcome? Yeah, so talk about an influencer, right? So he tweeted, use Signal, just in one simple line. And all his followers flocked to Signal, except it was the wrong Signal, sending mixed signals. So <laughs> it's a case of 
I guess, mistaken identity when it comes to companies. So we've got two companies. One is called Signal, which is the messaging app, and you've got the other one called Signal Advance. So many of his com- um, followers decided to buy up the stock behind Signal Advance, and it jumped up by 1,100% in two days for no other reason apart from Elon Musk tweeting that name and calling for his followers to jump ship from WhatsApp to Signal. So quite, I guess, a quirky turn of events. <laughs> uh, in, in fact, you've got Signal coming out to defend itself or just clarify that, hey, we are not the company that Elon Musk was talking about. Uh, so that will be uh, interesting to see. Of course, um, <laughs> after tweeting that and clarifying that, you can expect the prices to come down again. Oh my goodness! The signal Musk is referring to is operated by a nonprofit, and <laughs> it's a very small company. Yeah, less uh, people on it, I think, than the number of followers that Trump had on Twitter. He had eighty-eight million. Uh, Twitter ha- signal has significantly less. All right, well. Goodness me, the Straits Times Index enjoyed one of its best days in some time last week on Friday. Jumped 3% to close back in the 3,000 mark. It finished the week just 7 points shy of that mark at 29.93. So Ryan, how is the Blue Chip Index starting off this week? Well, it was a very good session on Friday. And we are talking about nearly 3%. And I can't remember when was the last time I saw 3% on the SDI in the green. And like you pointed out, it's just under 3,000 points. So perhaps we could see it break above 3,000 today to reach a new milestone. Um, But looking at opening numbers, the signs are not there. It seems like we are down 0.3%. So if it stays that way, uh, we could see the five-day winning streak being snapped. So a bit of profit-taking perhaps. And looking at some of the top movers right now, uh, we talked about the banks doing well. The likes of DBS, OCBC, UOB were among the top gainers. So after a 5% jump on Friday, DBS is now down by 1.2%. OCBC and UOB down around 1%. Um, looking at another top mover on Friday, of course, was CDL, which was the only loser on Friday. And that is now in the red as well. Still the top loser, down by around 2.2%. 2% at $7.18. So quite a few, um, I guess, signals around profit-taking for Monday. Signal seems to be your word of the day, yeah? <laughs> Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.